0: Welcome to The Green Urbanist, a podcast for urbanists fighting climate change. I'm Ross. Hello, welcome to part two of this mini-series on landscape and urban nature. This episode features an interview with Michael Cowdy of McGregor Coxall,
1: Hi, I'm Mike Cowdy, um, the UK founding director McGregor Coxall.
0: We discuss two of their landscape award nominated projects, a research project on biourbanism and the second a design code for green infrastructure for a new community in Cambridge. I really enjoyed this conversation. Um, Michael really provides a different way of thinking about cities through their bio-urbanism concept. And then in the second part about the design code, it's really about applying a lot of that thinking in a practical sense uh, to a a new master plan that's being developed. So, yeah, enjoy and keep an eye out next week for part three of the series. Fantastic. So you're we're here at the Landscape Institute Awards. You've got two uh, projects up for awards, which is really exciting. One of them is around research around biourbanism. Can you tell us a bit about that?
1: Yeah, so biourbanism is really a call to action where we rethink the model around city. Uh, in, in essence, it's looking at cities as nature and it's kind of identifying the human influence we've had on our natural ecosystem and looking to rebalance that relationship um, between humanity and nature. Um, And we see cities as the primary focus on tackling climate change, because 55% of the population are living in cities now. Cities contribute to 75% of the global greenhouse emissions. And so if we can rethink that model around the city um, design, we can ultimately solve a lot of the problems. Yeah, so what, what does that look like, really? I mean, it
0: sounds like an amazing concept.
1: So essentially we've kind of developed up a systems-based approach to looking at cities and those um, systems are kind of dissected into two key um, larger um, system-based approaches and that's the bio, which is the living. So you're looking at citizens, food, waste, water um, and landscape and then you've got the urban systems which are looking at mobility, energy, energy Um, and uh, technology and so forth and what what it's trying to do is essentially create a more balanced outcome um, to a city um, environment and it's creating accountable decisions that look at the impacts of everything across all of those 10 systems that we've developed.
0: Okay fascinating I mean so what's your um, what's the sort of output of your research if people want to go and learn more about it?
1: So obviously we've, we've written a book, um, and it's been uh, spearheaded by the owner, Adrian McGregor. Um, and he spent a lot of time uh, delving into it, um, working closely with the mcgregor Coxall team. And it's something that's, that really emanated from 2006, um, and it came about through what we called at the time the BioCity Research Studio. Um, and that was looking at kind of um, the kind of challenges and trends that cities are facing. And, and over the past 15, 16 years, we've kind of delved further into that, um, really focused on that research piece and uh, developed up our own biourbanism research laboratory, which has got a number of staff with PhDs, experts in geospatial modelling, computational modelling. Uh, generational modeling and and narrative design the whole spectrum of kind of design but kind of bringing it together under a research piece and that's allowed us now to build in a lot more intelligence and science into our design outcomes and and ultimately um, to create design outcomes uh, that are truly responsive to the to the context we need very accurate data and we need to understand the science of a place rather than it just being humanistic and driven through the human being um, and the way of thinking
0: that is so fascinating because it does often feel like design and science are sometimes not <laughs> working well together in practice. Um, so what does that look like in terms of when you're bringing in these, this, this more scientific approach to your projects? So, I mean,
1: one of the, the lab is, is a kind of broad spectrum of specialists. And on one side, you've got the kind of geospatial modelling teams that are kind of working with you know, vast amounts of data. And that kind of side, that kind of part of the business is really looking at creating digital models um, or digital twins of of the cities or the environments we're working in. And, And that allows us to understand the condition of a place today. And how is it working? What, is the, what are the things that aren't working? It also allows us to start to simulate and understand how things can be changed. Uh, and that kind of data allows us as designers to create a, a far more informed outcome of what should happen because we have evidence behind it. Um, so that's, and so that, that kind of is a really important part of our research is, is building in that data. Um, in, in, in essence, it's bridging the gap between acadet, acadet, academia, Science um, and research, and using it as a kind of platform to inform better design
0: outcomes. Yeah, fascinating. And I, I presume, are you working at the city scale with, with authorities around the world on this? Or? Yes,
1: yeah, yeah. So, I mean, we've done a whole range of projects, some of which are kind of building on the kind of digital model. So in Sydney, for example, we've already been working on a, a number of areas that look at kind of just recreating um, a digital model of those of those parts of the city um, and essentially start to simulate what's the current situation and how can we improve that. Bristol City Council, more locally, <coughs> we worked on, on leading their climate resilient estate, um, which again was built on creating a huge geospatial model, bringing all the disparate dis- uh, data sets together and seeing how the city is currently performing now with regards to urban heat, flooding, whether it be tidal fluvial pluvial flooding, ecological networks, accessibility, and, and just highlighting how that can be kind of improved to create a more hospitable resilient environment for the future
0: yeah it does i mean it does feel that there's a lot of really firm principles we have around nature-based solutions and landscape you know landscape as a solution to things like the urban heat island urban flooding and that kind of thing it sounds like you're now joining joining this up on a larger spatial scale it's not just about the little projects by project it's looking at the city or the neighborhood on that bigger scale and you're able to make more strategic decisions based on that
1: absolutely i mean the the, the world of landscape which is why we're here actually has no boundary and that's one of the interesting things that are kind of profession and our industry have kind of always loved to create as a a red line boundary and and actually when you're looking at at ecosystem services and, and human beings the boundaries don't exist so so if there's any profession that should be breaking those boundaries it is the landscape profession and the reason being is we're probably the only profession that actually tackles projects as wide as a biome an entire region of a country or an entire country so, so it really does kind of flip um, the kind of, I guess, role of what people perceive the landscape profession to be and where the landscape profession should be. And so as a practice, we've taken a real key point in trying to demonstrate that. And biourbanism is is taking a whole holistic approach. It's not just landscape, but it's showing how the driver of a future city should be looking at the kind of equal balance between the urban systems And the living systems and that is a kind of great way to position our profession as the kind of backbone of the climate resilient agenda
0: amazing yeah and you're putting this you put this into a book you know it's out there for the public are you hoping that other practices will pick this up and 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 build on it
1: i think that i mean there's a whole array of ways you can kind of take it 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 can be used as a research tool a bit of a kind of opportunity to kind of draw on some of the information that we've pulled across Importantly, it can be seen as just a philosophical position in how we, as a as a practice, but how we as a society, should start to look at, which is really, like I said, seeing cities as nature and really rebalancing that relationship. Um, but ultimately, it's it's actually a call to action for the governance of our of our cities and, and, and you know the wider pol- political agenda to change the model of how our councils are operating. The council model, um, unfortunately doesn't really work and it, do, it isn't fit for purpose today um, and, and, and it's not without people passionately trying to make it work but it isn't really working and so this a bio-urbanism agenda is really trying to set forward a new way of kind of uh, almost planning the cities um, across different parts of the world
0: um, Maybe we can move on to talking about your other project that's up for an award today which is um, a design code where you're starting to bring in some of this, some of this thinking, so yeah just tell me about that
1: yeah, so we've, we've worked closely with um, Bellway Homes and in particular uh, co-authored it with PTE. And, and really it was an opportunity um, for us to demonstrate um, a broader landscape-led um, a, um, approach to design coding. Um, and we didn't want it to be termed landscape-led in the sense. We wanted it to kind of really build off the national model for design codes and kind of like strengthen that model by p- breaking it into kind of two key components, the living communities and the living infrastructure. And I guess in, in essence, the living infrastructure piece is really reflecting all the bio systems that I've just talked about before. Um, but it makes sense being kind of um, termed as the living infrastructure, because ultimately when we're looking at places, they are um, components of living aspects whether it's humans or whether it's uh, animals or whether it's plant species but equally the communities part was really important as well because the buildings and that urban fabric has to work so so we drove it with that kind of um, very clear narrative and it it really emphasized that that external realm has to be something that kind of catalyzes social health climate resilience and, and ultimately sustainable economics which is really an important part to position this is like the we see the value of a place being driven through those kind of living attributes because if you, you get those right then the economic prosperity of a place will only
0: increase and improve so it's a it's quite a large it's a large master plan isn't it it's like yes. over a thousand homes yes twelve hundred
1: homes yeah yeah and, about
0: and um so you're looking really at a master plan and then developing a design code for future phases to come forward um what were some of the key moves in that code for, for, for making sure those uh, principles were locked in? So, I mean, the national, like I said, the national model of design
1: code has 10 systems almost. It's kind of already broken itself down into these 10 attributes, whether they're systems or themes. Um, and what was really clear, actually, when you kind of analyzed it was, it was it was kind of almost you could you have context as the overarching scene setter. And then we broke down eight of the systems, four of which sat within living infrastructure, which was nature, public spaces, movement and resources, and then the living communities was the other components. And then the kind of, um, I guess, the, the, the kind of bookend of that was really looking at the kind of longer term governance structure. Um, and so that was the kind of the driver was like we wanted to make sure that it was very clearly written in a way that kind of represented the bigger picture of what uh, this place should be um, and that allowed us to kind of flesh out how nature should be considered um, how the public spaces and the diverse typologies should be considered in the area how movement isn't just about moving people these movement corridors should be public open spaces looking at play, doorstep play, play on the way Um, and looking at resource management so it it was kind of really trying to drive quite a a layered way of considering it so that anybody taking forward any development does have a a clear set of guidance built on those parameters Um, and that that was kind of I think the success of it really well it was really driven with that kind of that that approach Um, and that was why it was widely regarded and very well received by the, the council.
0: Um, design codes are now... Well, it's in, it's in the, the Leveling Up and Regeneration Act. Local authorities will have to prepare them for their local areas. It's, it's now a really strong new part of the planning system as well as developers and, and the private sector developing them. Do you feel like that's, this is a good mechanism now for bringing, ensuring that landscape uh, and, and these sort of living elements get delivered properly?
1: For, for us, yeah. I mean, if a design code's done well, 100%. It's, it, you know, It's a really important way to manage longer-term development on these sites and make sure that the principles of development are are clear and set. I think um, there is is a kind of important part, though, when you're looking at any design code for any place, is that the backbone of it has to be built on an identity of place. And uh, if you're looking at kind of greenfield sites... Um, what is the identity of that place? Well that identity of place is, is actually the landscape whether it's a dysfunctional landscape maybe like it's a past agricultural area or there's actually kind of a, a broken um, ecosystem. The point is that's the identity and so for those greenfield sites actually the driver of anything should be the external because actually that's what currently exists. The, the urban situation um, is a, is a kind of different because we're trying to retrofit the ex- urban estate to work in a different way. So so it's kind of like I, I think you know, for us, uh, the, the kind of external realm, the landscape, the living infrastructure, is the is the kind of strategic backbone and skeleton that any
0: project really should be built on. Um, amazing. Any any just final thoughts or anything else you'd like to say to the listener while you're here? No,
1: I think it's um, I think it's an important point in time for the landscape profession to step up and really kind of voice its kind of key position in this uh, agenda of tackling social health and disparities and and climate resilience and you know as a practice we are huge proponents of of that that important part of um, design and I think uh, as a profession we need to be unified, stand up and represent that because if we do it as a collective we'll have a far greater impact in the future of making a better place for everyone to live in.